0: All right. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for coming back to another episode of Elections Elections Daily's Blast from the Past. I'm Armin Thomas, and joining me is Harrison Lavelle. This is a show where we interview former members of Congress about their tenure. And today we have with us uh, former Congressman Bart Gordon, uh, who was a congressman from the 6th District of Tennessee from 1985 to 2011. Uh, Bart Gordon was previously the executive director of the Tennessee Democratic Party and was the chair of the House Science Committee uh, for his last couple of years. So uh, Congressman Gordon, thank you very much for being with us today. Sure man, glad to be with you. All right, Harrison, you wanna take it away? Yeah, sure.
1: So very honored to have you on Congressman Gordon. So my first question for you today is uh, what inspired you to run for the house uh, and how did that inspiration continue to drive you throughout your tenure in, in Congress?
2: Well, as I was growing up, uh, I spent a lot of time with my grandfather, who was sort of what you would call, I guess, a local politician. He was on the um, the local uh, elect, um, r- rather, education uh, board. He was a member of the local county commission, and it was through him that I saw his really commitment to the community. He helped start the rural electrification in Rutherford County, and he just was very committed to his community. And I think that, that sort of you know, flowed to me. And then when I was a senior in high school, I worked uh, in a, uh, a friend's congressional campaign, John Bragg. Uh, he was not successful, but that's when I realized that I thought Congress was the highest office that someone like me, with no big family name, no, you know, no money uh, could achieve uh, just by hard work. And so that was my goal. I was 18 years old and for the next 17 years, that was my really sole goal uh, through college and law school and 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 other things. Um, fortunately, that worked out. And in 1984, I was elected and, um, it was a dream come true. I love my my term uh, in Congress, and it really was a place that, that I could help my community. And it was really, it was fun to have the hundreds of open meetings and get to meet people across the district and what their concerns were and, and how I could help them. Uh, it just re- very rewarding. Great, thank you.
0: Yeah, so uh, why don't I ask my first question. So Uh, I believe back in 1992, that was the first time you had, you know, a somewhat serious Republican opponent, who is now, I believe, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Um, So I was wondering, what was that race like? Um, And, you know, how did that race shape your uh, relationship with now Senator Blackburn, then Congresswoman Blackburn in Congress?
2: Well, actually, Marsha did me a big favor. Um, I, I did have a both a serious Democratic and Republican opponent in 84 when I first ran. But as you pointed out, really was not much of, a, of, a, of an opponent since then. But in 92, uh, Marcia was the, I think she was like a fashion coordinator for either Kane Sloan's or Castronauts, one of the department stores there in Nashville and really did not have what you might call a political base. She was very smart. She was, was energetic. And very committed, but didn't have, you know, again, what you would call a political base. And she, um, you know, almost beat me at that time. Um, and it was my wake-up call uh, to, as I was going through the campaign, to really see and understand that there was this anti-incumbency uh, feeling that was built up. And I remember uh, in the last two or three weeks of the campaign, my poster said, you know, this is a tough race and you you need to spend I, these were his words, spend all the money you have in the bank to bury her. And I said, you know, this is just the front end of the wave. 94 is going to be even tougher. And so I'm going to save all the money, you know, that I can. And we so we had a heads up and we spent the next two years preparing. And in 94. Uh, I only won by a few hundred votes, and I'm sure that I would have lost if it hadn't been for Marsha's wake-up call, so I'm, you know, grateful for her uh, to have done that, and, and one thing that's sort of interesting, uh, if you ever want to do a trivia, um, I don't think any other member, I'll say, who is the only member of Congress that served with two members at the same time that they had beaten in earlier congressional elections? Answer is Bart Gordon. In 1984 I beat um, uh, Lincoln Davis in the in the uh, Democratic primary. Uh, he later was elected from a different district, then beat Marsha in 92. she was elected from a district from a different district. So at one time all three of us were there in Congress together. Nice. Uh, Harris, you want
1: to go? interesting yeah sure. so my second question for you uh, actually pertains to 2010. When you decided to retire and my question is did you ever consider running for re-election in 2010 and if so how would you have attempted to counter the republican campaign message that swept the nation that year and resulted in many flips and countless house races against the democrats
2: well you know i, I had a pretty good antenna uh in 1994 there were i think 36 democratic members of congress that got beaten 18 retired because they knew you know that things were coming along and I felt that same kind of wave coming in 2010. Um, and, and you know, it's debatable. I think that I would have been reelected. I, most folks I think would agree with that simply because of the strong commitment that I had from the district and all the open meetings. However, I realized just like in 94, the Democrats were gonna lose the majority. And it wasn't that bad in 94 because, you know, I was a junior member. but in, in 2010, you know, I, I was a committee chairman, I was a senior member of energy commerce, I was passing legislation, I was really, you know, in many ways, or, uh, you know, one of the, the major movers in Congress. And I didn't want to then go from that to just the ranking member, or just, you know, um, somebody throwing rocks. Um, that was not the way I am. I wanted to be something constructive. So I didn't want to go to the minority. And it was, you know, I love what I did, but it was time to move on. Thank you.
0: Yeah, that's a, that, that, that's a very you know, well thought out answer, yeah. So I wanna ask you now, so as the chair of the House Science Committee, you were a leading promoter of the space program and NASA. So with your experience and expertise in this field, uh, what is your view on recent you know, policy adjustments that have been made in, in space, especially you know, the new Space Force that's now a thing?
2: You, you know, in all honesty, I, mean, I I have not followed that all that closely, although I think it is um, inevitable that space will be a new uh, frontier uh, in, um, I hate to say war, but conflicts and certainly in our national defense. Um, Jim Cooper, Congressman Jim Cooper from Nashville, played a major role in, in, I think, the legislation around the Space Force, and I think he will continue to. I trust him. I trust his judgment. And I think that, uh, you know, that is probably moving in a good direction. And in terms of the space program in general and NASA, uh, uh, there, was, there was, had been a debate about, do you go directly to Mars or do you go back to to the moon? Um, you know, it'd been a few decades since we were at the moon, but. A lot of folks would say, been there, done that, let's go to the moon, I mean, go to Mars directly, it'll be cheaper. Um, The um, Bush, I mean, the um, um, Trump administration decided to go back to the moon. I think that was the right decision for a couple of reasons. One, um, it was inevitable that other nations were were going to go there in the next few years and we would not have wanted them to have had a base and we not have a base. Plus, it's going to be enormously expensive and time consuming to get to Mars. And I don't think the public was ready to spend that kind of money and wait that long. So I think going uh, to the moon for it, you know, that base itself and then, and then launching to Mars later is a better thing. Although I do think the Trump administration had a had a very unrealistic time frame on it. Uh, but we still need to get back, uh, have a base there before any other country does good, thank you. So um,
1: if you don't mind, I'm gonna ask my, I have a final question for you and it pertains to the work you've done since leaving Congress. So I was wondering what work have you focused on specifically since leaving Congress and how has it allowed you to fulfill any of the goals you may have had during your time in the house on things that you may not have been able to accomplish
2: during your tenure? Well, I was um, uh, someone that thought that the transatlantic relationship was very important both for national security and economic security. And so I had, uh, I was a member of something called the NATO Parliamentary Assembly. While in Congress, I was a member of the US-EU Parliamentary Dialogue. Um, And um, so now I I am the Director General of something called the Transatlantic Business Council, which is, we're trying to bring really the the U.S. and the European economies together, uh, the, the, which would be by far the largest in the world, to try to develop, you know, more common standards and recognition, so that it will make us sort of the leader in the world, and quite frankly, not China, uh, that is trying to uh, take us on in terms of uh, economic dominance, but do it, doing it. In what I think is unfair ways, they're trying to steal our intellectual property uh, rather than develop their own. Uh, They're trying to use uh, both, um, you know, I won't I won't say slave labor, but they're certainly use forced labor to keep wages down. And if we're going to keep our standard of living higher, then we need to have those type of higher type of standards. You know, right now in the world. I forgot, I should know, there are about six billion people. Half of those make less than $2 a day. Uh, And so, you know, you're able to either compete on low wages, or you're able to compete on higher efficiencies and technology. I want to have higher wages and have us compete on a higher scale. Well, and also, I'm I'm on the board of directors for the former members of Congress Association. It's an opportunity uh, for me to Work with the former members. To, we have a lot of uh, programs on civility. We have something called campus, or Congress to Campus, where we take a Democrat and Republican and we go to various college campuses to discuss what we did and demonstrate really, it's almost post Congress how Democrats and Republicans can work together uh, to get things uh, done. And both through that and through some other things, I'm working. Uh, I had some legislation at the end of my Congress to set up uh, an office of Congress at the European Parliament. They've done that here. European Parliament has an office in Washington as well as the European Commission. And so now I'm working with with the local groups to see if we can uh, encourage Congress to have a beachhead of an office there, uh, there in Brussels And the European Parliament has offered at no cost to allow us to have office space. I think we need to have that better communication. Um, You know, we're seeing it now. If we have divergence on technology standards or on technology taxes, you know, it's just not going to be good. So we we should be talking together. If we decide to go different ways, fine, but we need to discuss it first. Thank you. That's fascinating.
1: Uh, Armin, you have your final question you wanted to ask?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, Congressman Gordon, you come from a very rural and conservative district, but you do follow in the footsteps of climate luminaries like Al Gore, and you have worked with liberal members of Congress like Ed Markey on various pieces of energy and climate policy. So from your experience, you know, because a lot of people don't usually put rural voters and, you know, climate change uh, awareness in the same sentence. Uh, especially where I come from. From your experience, what is the best way to sell effective climate policy to rural voters and to conservative voters in general?
2: Well, when I was chairman of the Science, Space, and Technology Committee, I passed, I think it, it was 151 bills and resolutions. All of those were bipartisan, and many of those dealt with climate change. But uh, I didn't really talk about climate change at that time. I talked about energy independence, um, and so we were, we were able. To, so a part of it is language, and we were able to talk about it that way. And you say that rural folks don't understand climate change. Well, you know, farmers really do. Farmers are on the front end of seeing how things are, you know, are changing, and I think there is a movement going on now. Um, Democrats, as you know, I think pretty uniformly recognize that climate change is real and is a threat. Um, Many Republicans don't want to say that, man, activities have anything to do with it, but they are starting now to at least say that climate change is real. And so I don't want to, I don't want to have to debate them about you know, again, whether it's human activities or not, as long as they believe climate change is real and we should do something about it, then fine. You know, let's, let's, let's deal with those things that we can agree upon. And also what I'm seeing now is that within the business community, there is a recognition that, again, climate change is real, climate change is a threat. And um, they, for two reasons, want to be involved. One, because they need some type of certainty. Um, if you're going to deal with climate change over a period of time, it's going to have to be some, you know, whether it's regulations or whatever, but they're going to like, uh, for example, the um, uh, increased mileage of automobiles. Um, I think, you know, all the automobile makers recognize that needs to be done, but they want certainty. and, And they want, and so they're willing to say, yes, climate change is real. Yes, we need to have a better mileage, but we want to have it on a time frame that's realistic and that again it gives us certainty. So you're seeing that in industries. Uh, and you're also seeing, I think, from the business standpoint, that particularly younger folks are saying, hey, what are you doing, you know, business X, about it? If you're not, I'm not going to buy your soap, you know, if business B over there is, is, is more sympathetic to uh, to sustainability. So they're recognizing that it's it's good for business. Uh, and so that helps us also to go to some of the Republicans and others that have been hard to bring along. So some of it, you know, is, is language. My objective is getting something done, not embarrassing anyone, trying to find common denominators and moving forward. And so if we have to deal with the language, that's perfectly fine with me. All
0: right. Uh, thank you, Congressman Gordon, for that. Uh, Harrison, you got any final thoughts?
1: Uh, I just actually had a little extra, <clears throat> extra question because we, asked, uh, we interviewed Lincoln Davis uh, not long ago. And we asked about his first congressional race when he ran against you in the primary. Uh, and he talked about the uh, very cordial and mutually respectful relationship you guys developed later in Congress. So I was just wondering if you could tell us anything about your relationship with
2: Lincoln Davis while you two served in
1: Congress together.
2: Well, we had, a, we had a great relationship. We had our districts were next to each other. They were very similar. Uh, he was a hoot to be around. And so, you know, we had fun, you know, talking with each other. Uh, and we were, you know, again, within the Democratic caucus. So, uh, and, uh, you know, interestingly, I guess you might say that I was a big help in trying to, uh, when redistricting time came, to help create a district that allowed Lincoln uh, to, to, to run and to win. He was really a, a good public servant and someone who cared about his district. So uh, it was fun being with Lincoln. So I have a question. Harrison, Absolutely. where are you? When I say, wh- where, where is your background?
1: Uh, it's a place called Washington Rock. Near, It's in my home county in New Jersey in Somerset County. And it's uh, basically it's a big over revolutionary war overlook. And you can see the skyline of New York City from it. Have you been
2: down to Lookout Mountain? It's sort of like Lookout Mountain in Chattanooga.
1: I did. I used to live in Tennessee. So we did it. Actually, we did a camping trip there when I was younger because we lived there when I was.
2: I wouldn't say that Chattanooga is quite the same view as New York City, but still (laughs) it's. uh, No, it's beautiful. I know what
1: you mean. Thank you so much uh, for watching this episode of Blast from the Past. We are honored to have former Tennessee Congressman Bart Gordon joining us. Uh, So thank you. Armin, anything else? No. Yeah. Once again, thank you very much, Congressman Gordon, for doing this.